Hi everybody, it's Susie with another episode of You Ask, We Answer. Um, I'm an occupational therapist and certified driver rehabilitation specialist. You guys write in with your questions and I do my best to get you the information and answers to help guide you. Um, as always, you need to follow your own state regulatory practices and use good clinical re reasoning, judgment, best practice guidelines, and ethics when making your decisions. Okay, so let's get to it. This email comes from a lovely occupational therapist who's out in Wisconsin. And first I'm going to apologize because she sent me this email over a month ago and it's just, it got lost in the shuffle and it's taken me a minute to get back to her. So I really want to apologize. You guys, when you take the time to write me a message or send me an email and ask me a question, um, it really means a lot to me and I always do my best to get back, but sometimes things come up and I really want to apologize because you took the time to write in the question and I want you to know how important that is to me. Um, so, um, Sarah, I'm sorry. It's taken me over a month to get back to you as a special thank you. I am actually going to gift you the cognitive, um, and the cog cognition and driving course as a thank you for your patience. Um, so that is in your online learning library and active and ready for you now. So Sarah's question, Sarah from Wisconsin, she writes in um, that she just finished watching our course, OT's Role of Driving, and that she's a generalist in a small rural clinic. Unfortunately, our closest specialist is two to three hours away. Sarah, I think that's a very common problem that most of us have. I think it's estimated that there's between 350 to 500 specialists in the country, which is not nearly enough when you think about how big this country is. So at best, you know, we're looking at on average 10 specialists per state, and it's probably way less than that. Um, so it's very common. You're in a common boat with two to three hours away. Okay. Sarah goes on to share that she completes the off-road driving risk assessment. Yay. I'm so excited for that. Um, I think that's a wonderful thing to have in your general practice. And so I fully support OT practitioners doing a driving risk assessment in general practice. Okay. Um, continues on. I find that most of our folks who get referred specifically to driving risk or to address risk with driving tend to fall in the yellow or red category on the OT drive spectrum. And just as a quick overview, the OT drive model is the idea that um, there's a continuum of risk and potential. And then if we grossly generalize people, they can fall into one of three categories, green, yellow, or red, green being low risk, high potential, yellow, there's risk and potential, red, high risk, low potential. And typically what we want to do with that is to help people understand where they fall on the spectrum of risk and then either help to remediate, recover, rehabilitate, or modify those deficits, client factors, and performance skills. Or if somebody is um, sustaining in the yellow category, get them to a driver rehabilitation specialist so that they can be evaluated for fitness to drive. Okay, so she's currently using, um, she's currently assessing individuals. She sees predominantly patients who fall in the categories of yellow or red. Um, and then she also states that she's currently using a modified version of the grid or the generalist resource to integrate driving to complete her driving risk assessment. Awesome stuff. Love all this. She goes on, in the past, I've also incorporated the motor-free visual perceptual test version four to assess visual perceptual capabilities and the UFOV or useful field of vision through Brain HQ to assess attention and processing speed. 
Have you ever used either of these two assessments to look at driving risk? Great question. So first and foremost, yes, these are great tools and resources for exactly the things that you brought up. The visual perceptual skills, looking, you know, with the MVPT, and then um, scanning and processing and attention with the UFOV. So I have to tell you, I have used both of these tests, but I have used earlier versions of both of them. And I actually have kept my MVPT3. Um, I kept the MVPT3 and never advanced to the four, predominantly because the MVPT3 was um, is one of the tools that has the most, uh, the, the research associated with driving with that. And predominantly with the MVPT, when you're having difficulty on the visual closure section, that's of great concern, especially related to driving. Okay, so I when I started in the field of driving rehab in the early 2000s, I actually completed the MVPT3 on everyone. One of my favorite components of this test is the fact that you can get the processing speed and um, look at the norms on how somebody falls with processing as well. And as an occupational therapist, I particularly like when there's a, you know, a small overlap between the tests, you know, so more than one test that looks at processing speed or more than one test that looks at visual perceptual skills, because the reality is most of us can get something wrong, you know, at any given moment. And so if I have tests that have slight overlap, it helps me understand somebody's pattern and really their performance patterns and what's truly a deficit versus just getting one question wrong, right? It's really tough when you take um, some of these standardized tests, you know, where they just ask you one time about something. And if you get it wrong, then it's assumed that you're impaired in that area, right? Versus um, a test that might have more than one opportunity to answer the question to see really, is there a deficit? Okay, so I've used the MVPT3. I've done the MVPT4, but I did miss the processing speed. And I have used the UFOV, but I used it on the original version. And forgive me, but the that uh, original system is for the UFOV is has run out of my brain. Brain HQ did purchase it, and one of the reasons why I didn't continue on using the UFOV was because of the initial price when Brain HQ purchased this program. Um, it's become much more affordable. I know that they have much more affordable packages now, which is really great. Um, but, you know, eight years ago, eight, when this all transitioned, we were looking at needing to spend close to $700 in order to get the package to use this test. And so as somebody in private practice, just starting out at that time, I weighed the pros and the cons. I thought about what that test was really giving me. Again, the research was on the original program, not the one that was bought and redone by Brain HQ. You know, and so the difference between using version three or four on the MVPT and using the original version and the Brain HQ version on the UFOV, like we can argue, right? Is it semantics? Is it like what's really the difference? But I think it's important to acknowledge what version research has been completed on, you know, when you're looking at a test. Okay. So I personally moved away from the UFOV when it was no longer readily available to me. And what's been interesting is, and I've had a couple of colleagues that I've spoken to about this. It was one of those tests that I always did on everybody. And I really, you know, felt like, oh, I was getting a lot of information. But it was also one of those tests that would take a really long time. 
And the reality is the people who were struggling on it, I probably already knew that information, you know, from seeing them the way they completed trails making test A and B. And what happened is that over time, and this is true for the motor free visual perceptual test too, over time, not completing those two tests, I found that I gained that information in other places and I didn't really miss running those tests. So this gets to Sarah's last point, because she says, I find these two tests can be quite difficult and time consuming for patients at times. And I'm trying to determine how valuable the information obtained from these assessments are when thinking about overall risk of driving. So what I would say to you, Sarah, is I think it matters and it's going to depend on the patient and what's going on with them and what they're working on. From my personal opinion, I think that pulling in the UFOV or pulling in something like the motor free visual perceptual test might be things that I pull in almost as like my second tier assessments, right? So if I think about my driving risk assessment, my driving risk assessment, I want to include some kind of review of visual acuity and visual feel. Like for me, that's the minimum. Um, motor testing, I want to do a rapid pace walk and sensation testing of the right foot. Um, also, man, I like to do manual muscle testings of the lower extremities, hips, knees, internal, external rotation, plantar and dorsiflexion, and then something for cognition. And personally, my go-to cognitive tests would be the brief cognitive assessment test. And then from there, I might add in trails making test A and B. Now, I want to give a little footnote. So some of these tests, like trails making test A and B, cannot be repeated frequently. You know, there needs to be sometimes a one month or three month space between doing these tests. And so if you're in general practice and you pro are providing a driving risk assessment and you maybe you're in the outpatient setting, it might be valuable to have a conversation with the OT driver rehabilitation specialist to find out if you can share that information or where that test really should be completed. For a great example, my friend over at a local hospital, she is an OT, she does a fantastic driving risk assessment, and she includes trails making test A and B, but then we have a relationship and an agreement where she can share that information with me so I don't have to repeat the test and I can gain that information. Okay, so going back to kind of what I was initially saying though about like you need like your base layer or your first tier levels, something for vision, visual acuity, something for looking at motor skills and sensation coordination, something for looking at brain function. And I think of processing speed, working memory, attentional capacity, and executive function. Okay. From there. And then of course, with the driving risk assessment, you will always want to add in an IADL as well. What I would say, Sarah, is use those things first and then decide what do I want to dig in and on even more? So for example, I'm not sure what kind of cognitive test you're using, but even if you're using something like, um, you know, the Mocha and on the Mocha, they have the design copy and then the, the um, oh, no, no, I'm sorry. The Mocha, they have you um, replicate the 3d cube. And then I think there's a clock draw and then there's even, um, looking at the three pictures. And I understand the pictures have been updated because there used to be a, a rhinoceros. And for some of my clients, it looked like a rhinoceros wearing a turtleneck. If you've got that version, take a look, it might make you giggle. Okay. So if you think about like the, the copying of the cube and the clock draw and those three pictures, 
And I guess the picture is really good at naming, but it's also interesting what people are interpreting visually when they look at those. If you're starting to see deficits in those areas, you might say, wow, what's going on? Oh, this person had a stroke. Oh, this person has a history of cerebral palsy. Oh, this person has a history of, you know, their high level um, autism disorder. Okay. Do we need to dig in and look at the next layer for visual perceptual skills? That's when I would pull out something like the MVPT. Or like, let's do trails making. Let's say on trails making test A and B, the person's really struggling. Maybe there's a combination of difficulty with um, interpreting their environment as well. You know, and you want to look at really their attention and their processing. Maybe then you pull in the UFOV. Maybe you use the UFOV as a training tool or as an intervention for looking and improving that attention and processing. Right? So... I personally, especially because they're so time consuming, would not include the MVPT4 or UFOV as my standardized test or part of my standardized package for my driving risk assessment, but I would use them and keep them on hand when I need to go further. Does that make sense? I'm hoping so. Um, and then, you know, depending on And I have to, you know, forgive me, I don't really remember how Brain HQ ended up setting up the UFOV, but I believe that there were opportunities to use it for training. You know, think about could some of these things actually be training tools rather than testing? I think the other pieces, as you mentioned, they can be really time consuming. And the people that they're really time consuming on are the people that already have deficits, or you could probably see those deficits in other areas. So, my gut would be to move that to my second layer of assessment if I wanted to dig in and learn more, not keep it on my first layer. It's kind of an interesting idea, right? Think about when I'm picking and choosing what to put into like my first layer, I'm thinking about what's hitting all the points I really want to hit. What is it highlighting for me? And then as I add in different pieces, what is it telling me? Is it telling me something different? Or is it just overlapping with other things that I've already already got a nice little overlap on, right? Because there are overlaps between the MOCA and trails making A and B. There's overlaps between the maze test and the brief cognitive assessment test, right? There can be these little overlaps, but you don't want to use a test that's not giving you any more valuable information, or you want to pick to use it at a point when you need to dig in for more information. So those are my two cents. Again, I sincerely apologize to Sarah for taking so long to answer this question. I love this question. I think it's a great one. Um, Since you wrote in about uh, visual perceptual skills, attention and processing speeds, this is why um, you're getting uh, access to the cognitive cognition and driving course. These are um, things that are covered in this course as well. And if you have additional comments, I would love to hear from you. As always, guys, please write me. Email me at Susie at adaptivemobility.com. Send me a Facebook message. Post a question in, in our Facebook group, Driving Rehab for the OT. Find me on LinkedIn. You can try me on Twitter, uh, Instagram, <laughs> all the places, but please keep your questions coming. What you guys do as occupational therapy practitioners is important. You change the lives of your patients, especially when you think about those big IADLs like driving. 
And for that, you are an OT superhero, and I'm grateful that we're in each other's lives. Thank you for the all that you do. Have a great day and keep those questions coming. We'll keep going with questions and answers. Have a good one. Take care. Bye-bye.